You are listening to Life Sci AI, the podcast series. Building on series one, we bring you series two, where we are looking to bring you more innovative and amazing ways that AI is being used in the life science industry across Europe. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, um, everyone, to series two of Life Sci AI, uh, the podcast series. Thankfully, we've been commissioned for a second series, so we're back after a successful uh, first series. Uh, we wanted to look back at any of the podcasts um, for the first series. They're all still on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and all the, the uh, episodes are on video format on our website as well. But in the, ne- the next series, we're going to try and see as many different applications of both AI, but, but software and the digital health market as well, and try and broaden as many horizons as, as possible. And to, to kick it off, we've got someone who is a bit of a thought leader. Some would, some would say an influencer, let's say now, um, across the industry within surgical robotics. And surgical robotics is a, plays a big part in, in medical devices. Um, you know, it has a, has a proud history, but a young history, um, let's say. And I'm proud to, to have uh, Lucien Blondel, who's the co-founder and CTO of Quantum Surgical, um, joining me today. Uh, Quantum are a, a surgical robotics company, a startup in uh, Montpellier in France. But I'll pass over to you, Lucien. Thank you for joining. And I'm sure you can give a bit more of an outline on yourself and and what, what Quantum look at doing. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me in uh, in the, in this uh, second series of the of the podcast uh, from uh, Cypro. So, yes, I've uh, I've uh, a twenty plus years uh, experience in surgical robotics uh, in both uh, startups and uh, big corporate companies environments, and uh, I've been fortunate to work in this field uh, that has been uh, evolving very much the last uh, two decades. And uh, I've been uh, working in knee, brain, spine interventional radiology and right now in the liver cancer areas and um, so we will uh, maybe talk a little bit more about my background and experience later for uh, quantum surgical we are a 80 people startup company uh, based in uh, montpellier south of france and we are developing the uh, epion robotic platform uh, that uh, we intend to uh, provide to the european us and china market very soon uh, to help uh, radiologists to plan, uh, to uh, assess, to guide uh, needle placement for uh, percutaneous liver uh, ablation procedures. So we are very excited uh, to, uh, to, to start this uh, robotics journey in uh, interventional uh, oncology, uh, a field uh, in which there is uh, uh, not that uh, uh, many uh, people uh, playing and, and that, that's still a, a lot of unmet needs uh, for end users. Uh, to be addressed with uh, robotics software and uh, other uh, technologies. Awesome. Yeah, I think the we'll, we'll go into the unmet needs and how many I don't know use cases potentially there were when you were considering what to look at a quantum in a in a, in a short while. Um, but looking at your your general um, story and path to, to to found you know quantum surgical. Uh, you said you there. You you've been part of big businesses and uh, smaller startups as well. So, I guess just from a founder point of view, or, or a business leader point of view, what's the difference 
that you what are the major differences that you see because we know from like an engineer's point of view or a research point of view um the differences but when you're leading these companies or leading different business units and you worked in uh, at GE for example um what are the major differences that you find between the two so between startups and a big corporate I mean the, the, yeah. these are really two different worlds and uh I think I, I believe um the, uh, the two are uh, complementary. I mean, uh, it's an ecosystem in which uh, startups and big corporates uh, uh, feed one another uh, with technologies, with IP, and, and then with uh, distribution channels, marketing, sales, uh, manufacturing, supply chain, stuff like that. So what is really different on the, on the product development side and, uh, and the regulatory side and quality, which are my uh, strong areas of expertise, is that... Uh, in a startup, it's uh, you take a lot of risk every day, and and you do a, a lot of uh, a decision. You have to do a, a lot of decision on a, uh, on a product development strategies, uh, quality implementation, regulatory strategies, regulatory pathways, choices, and you have to be very agile. You have to be very quick, and you have to take a, a risk. You have to measure the risk each time, and then you have to take a decision, and then move forward, and uh, and adjust. Uh, depending on what what happens with what you what you did and 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 that's that's what we do sometimes you you choose a technology and then six months later you say okay that's not the right one let's switch the technology uh go over from scratch and and, and still have the same purpose and the same target deadline which is <laughs> obviously not not easy so this is the startup uh life <laughs> big corporates uh, i mean they tend to be and it's uh, really uh, normal to be much more risk adverse and uh, the decision making process is much more complex because you have to uh, involve a lot of uh, expert people, uh, stakeholders uh, in all those areas that are related to the product, uh, which are engineering, marketing, market, uh, manufacturing, servicing, quality, regulatory, clinical, and you have to bring all those people to the table and, and agree on the decision. So that requires a lot more, lot more efforts. Uh, then within a, a small startup where you, you can just bring all those four people around the table and then mm. you decide and you move on. And uh, the, the, the same kind of decision can take weeks, if not months, <laughs> in, a, in a corporate environment. And, and that's, uh, I mean, that's not, uh, not uh, wrong to say. It's just that uh, yeah. that's the process and that's, uh, that's how it works and that's how they, yeah. they, they made a, a product with quality and efficiency. Yeah. Okay. And do you, which one do you think harnesses development better than? Well, there, I would say <laughs> there is, yeah, there is no better. I mean, d depending on what you are looking for, if you are looking yeah. for innovation, uh, then the, the startup is much more uh, uh, adapted uh, to, uh, to, to deliver innovation. Uh, but when you are looking at uh, delivering a product, such as the one we developed at GE for uh, hybrid ORs, then you want to make sure that the product uh, in the next 10 years will be still manufactured, serviced, and, uh, and post-market issues will be uh, properly handled. And this takes time. This takes a lot of preparation and uh, a lot of people to be involved, uh, a lot of work. And uh, I've seen that, and it's, it's a great work, great people. But it, it takes more time. So it's, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, two different uh, objectives that uh, mm. we, we try to achieve there. And uh, 
in the startup is, is, is more of like the time to market and, and get the early adapters. And, and then the big corporates are more focused on, yeah, okay, uh, you have a technology, you have already maybe 100 units on the field. It's been clinically proven. You have clinical evidence. Let, let's make it a worldwide product. And then, yeah. the I mean, the challenge is uh, supply chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different challenge. Yeah. yeah. So what are your thoughts then on incubators? Because there's a few um, bigger corporates in medical devices, for sure, that, that have sort of standalone research facilities or incubators. Um, you know, there's some in my mind, I think, in the, in the Nordics that, that spring to mind for me. So what are your thoughts on those? Do you know any really successful ones? And do they fit in well with with bridging that gap potentially that the negative side of not the negative but the drawbacks of early innovation for big corporates yeah i think i think uh, all in all it, it's a great idea I, I do not know very much uh, uh, concrete examples of, uh, of, of companies but uh, i mean that's uh, probably the one way to uh, to do this to have a, a dedicated startup environment but uh, backed up with the uh, you know the expertise yeah. of, a, of a big corporate uh, company, and uh, and definitely that enables also the big company to uh, keep an eye on what what's going on, what's going to be the yeah. next uh, product on the market, and and if if there is a fit to the market, then uh, I acquire the startup company. Uh, they probably have already equity uh, in, in the in the in the company. Yeah, no, for sure. I think there there could be more in in that sense, and. Um, but also there's, there's lots of work that big corporates do with um, partnering with research institutes um, as well together. So we're not, we're not downplaying innovation here at big corporates. <laughs> so, um, looking back at, at your, your career though, um, and I always, I started a lot of the first series asking this question um, to people. I think it's important to realize how and why people moved into um, the life science or the medical device um, industry because you come from an engineering background right so why did you there was a specific time in your life when you focused more on medical devices when you were looking at more of a generalist engineering piece so why did you make that conscious decision to move into this area yeah I mean that's a that's a good question and uh, just to start with I, I, I would say that uh, I do believe that medical device space is uh, is a specific industry in in the sense that I I do believe that every everybody working in this field, it's so regulated, it's so constrained, <laughs> it's so difficult. Uh, they have to to have the patient in mind, you know, the, the patient yeah. benefit. So, uh, for myself, I I did my uh, engineering degree and uh, I started in surgical robotics uh, with my uh, internship prior to getting the degree. So I was in a generalist uh, engineering train train training. And I could go to uh, several heavy industries such as automotive or railway or whatever is big industry. And but I never get uh, much interested in the technology by itself, but uh, interested in the technology to make a product for the customer. So, and, oh, and that's still that's still my uh, my way of, of seeing things today. I mean, I I, I don't really care to uh, you know uh, develop a very nice uh, technology. I just just care to develop something that is useful for the for the customer and if it's a nice technology then it's fine but if yeah. it's not a nice technology that's that's okay so yeah. <laughs> i did this choice uh, very early on and I, I, uh, I, I only applied to actually one internship that was in a, a, a research lab for a 
European founded project and uh, a teleoperated soft tissue robot. And I, I got, I got the, That's good. Yeah. I got the one job out, and I started yeah. there. One out of one hit rate. That's good. Yep. <laughs> Just need one application, one internship. <laughs> yeah, I never, I, and I never left since. <laughs> um, so, in your twenty-year career, Lucian, what's the proudest product that you've worked on that's been released on the market? What's your the proudest thing you've worked on? Yeah. So, first of all, I'm proud of all the products. Uh, I've been working on it's not not only myself it's the whole team i'm, I'm not yeah. uh, you know uh, taking credit for for all that is done uh i would say the most uh system i'm i'm proud of is the rosa brain system because even uh today uh you know when i see uh, uh on linkedin or on uh, newspapers a story uh, of a five-year-old child suffering from uh, severe epilepsy and not being able to be medically treated uh, in a in a good way, uh, getting a SEG procedure and getting being seizure free at the end. I mean, it's a tremendous impact on uh, on children's lives. So mm. epilepsy is is, is uh, focused on uh, mostly focused on uh, children. So that's yeah. I would say that's uh, where the impact of patient lives is, is the the most important. So the on, in the brain. Yeah, but uh, oh. I'm, I'm. I mean, I, I, I love all the products uh, that, that I've done. You've, 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 yeah, you've, you've uh, got a very stellar portfolio. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, um, it's all, it's all completely relative, right? Um, so, but you, for that, you were director or CTO of that project. Yeah, for the Rosa Brain, uh, I uh, actually I started uh, at MedTech SA, which is the, the startup company founded by mm. Bertrand Naum uh, in two thousand and two. And uh, we, we start. I, I started at a, as a lead software developer, actually. So I did a front-end software, back-end software, motion wow. control algorithm, low-level uh, stuff. That's uh, really interesting. Anyway, uh, it, it changed a lot since the, the the last two decades. So I'm I'm obviously very obsolete in, in, <laughs> in terms of uh, software technologies, but I do understand some stuff around software development. <laughs> and uh, I move on to uh, to quickly to product manager uh, and then to R and D manager. Uh, at the time, we started the the Rosa Brain uh, project, so it was it was a very small team at the uh, at the time when, when we launched uh, the Rosa Brain mm. uh, system in Europe. We were less, I think, less than ten people in the company. So wow. there is nothing to compare to uh, you know current <laughs> surgical robotics companies that are out there. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Raising millions to. Uh, <laughs> Hundreds of millions. Products. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. But that's also the you know the landscape change and uh, yeah. the regulatory and quality uh, uh, requirements. They they are much higher than uh, what was uh, before. So it's uh, yeah. in a way that it's uh, it's normal. So do you think the quality and the regulatory uh, changes have had the biggest impact on the market? Sorry, could you? So, do do you think the the quality and the regulatory changes since you started in, in two thousand and two as a lead software engineer? Do you think that's made the biggest changes in the landscape since then, or has, is it, would you attest that to something else? Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the big barriers uh, in in this industry. It's uh, I mean right now you want to uh, to create a new company, and uh, you plan to. Uh, to, if you plan to be both in Europe and in the US, then you have to get a, you know, a very strong quality uh, ma- management system. You have to be uh, very strong in regulatory. You have to 
start with all this in mind uh, at the very beginning of the project, because if you do it afterwards, then it, it's uh, very complex. So it requires much more investment in terms of skills and people and, uh, and the product documentation and testing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more testing that is done right now, uh, like around cybersecurity, uh, yes. usability testing. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, I mean, it's uh, a huge part of uh, certifying a, a, a medical device right now. So, I mean, that's, that had a, a, a big impact on how much uh, and how many people you need to create a new product. And then, I mean, there are many other changes in the, in the perspective of the, you know, the end users, the surgeons, the physicians, mm. how they perceive robotics that, uh, that change a lot. And, and obviously the technologies uh, change a lot and, and enable right now to do uh, much more things than uh, what we did before right now. Today, we, you have uh, OEM uh, technologies that you can assemble and, uh, and uh, make it into a product much more uh, easily than uh, what, uh, what, what, what was before. When, when you took like a virtual reality, augmented reality, you have, you have glasses that uh, are already <laughs> compatible. You have uh, tracking technologies. You have uh, uh, robotic arms that are specifically designed for uh, medical devices. So yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, and it's a good thing. It's, uh, it's much easier right now. Yeah, I see. Okay, so you, you, the changes, when did they happen for the quality in the rent? When were the big changes? You know, it's a constant, constant Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I know in, in the software piece, it was 2017, they've had a big change. Um, yeah. But I don't know if it's just sort of slowly, incrementally crept up on you, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, yeah, the first 510k I made was for the, the Bridget robot back in 2006. And it was, uh, when I look at it right now, it was a very small file. Uh, when we went to uh, FDA for the Rosa Brain in 2009, it was still okay to manage. And, and then I think you were, you're, you're right, like in the middle of uh, 2015, something like that, it, it started to really increase the, the, I would say the burden, but uh, it's, mm. uh, it's a yeah. required work to, you know, to uh, properly uh, design a product for uh, safety and efficiency. And, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, I mean, do not think that uh, it's uh, only... Uh, you know, use less certification. Uh, when you look at uh, usability uh, engineering, for instance, it's, I, I truly believe it, it really improves, uh, it forces manufacturers to really improve the ease of use of the product right yeah. from the beginning. So the, the framework is, uh, is, uh, is strong, uh, but uh, what we see right now with what, what we've done at Quantum Surgical is in the end, it, it, it helps, uh, you know, the manufacturer to really design a, a, a good product for the end users. And, and we've seen that with uh, dozens of uh, physicians who try the platform and say, hey, we really see you invested a lot in the user experience and, 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 yeah. and that, that pays off. So it's, yeah. uh, it's good for, for the, the end user and the patient at the end. Definitely. And if you, when you think about how your what you're doing at the end is patient care but actually the medium that you're um increasing the patient care is the user which is the the radiologist or the surgeon so that that's kind of key right to making sure the product is as successful as possible um in in getting the best results for the patient at the end of the day um so do you think that that um that sort of change in importance on usability experience do you think that affected the perception 
of robotics and technology within healthcare professionals? And, and if so, sort of what is the been the major difference you've seen between when you went to a market with with the Rosa brain <laughs> tool versus what you're looking now with Quantum? What is the reception difference potentially? Yeah, I think um, what changed the perspective of end users is really the the increased adoption of uh, different surgical robotic platforms across the uh, surgical specialties. Uh, so of course, the usability enables to do a a more user-friendly product, but uh, uh, more than that, uh, people started to see uh, robots, uh, you know, uh, in the operating room next door for urology, for gynecology. And uh, then there is a, a surgeon that is using a, a robot for brain or spine, and he's discussing, you know, with his uh, uh, colleague uh, that is doing CMF or ENT, and they are like, you know, start to discuss about robotics. So I think. As we as we've seen more and more uh, robots uh, getting into the OR, then then it fosters the idea that okay, this if if my my colleague right next to me is uh, happy to use a robot to uh, improve his uh, his uh, patient outcomes, then maybe I can use it for my own uh, specialty and how how I could use it and and how where could I see benefits. Yeah. So I'm I'm not specifically talking about the you know the soft tissue teleoperated robots like the Da Vinci because they've been there for so many years yeah. that uh, the, the newer ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for yeah. newer ones, you, when you look at the, the surgical robotics landscape, uh, people uh, think first Da Vinci, uh, then uh, Mako, and obviously those are the two big uh, areas in uh, in uh, general surgery and orthopedics. Uh, maybe right now uh, with Siemens, uh, the cardiovascular catheter steering uh, robots, there is Oris in bronchoscopy, but there are 94 other companies uh, <laughs> commercializing uh, or developing a robot out there and in, in almost all areas in, uh, in therapeutic space, I would say, because right now there is um, the frontier be between diagnostic and therapeutic and between surgical specialties is, is, is getting more blurry. So mm. you can see... Uh, uh, that, that's why I, I speak about medical robotics because uh, uh, it's not always only surgery. I mean, you, you yeah. can have uh, treatments like uh, uh, histotripsy in the liver or uh, hair restoration or uh, venipuncture or whatever, uh, which is not surgery, but it's a, it's a, a robot for uh, providing a, a medical treatment. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely the, and it's the, the people that we speak to across Europe device-wise, it's becoming blurry and blurry, even not in robotics, but even like a um, device itself, the diagnostics and therapeutics is almost becoming like a wraparound in itself um, for a certain piece. But you um, alluded to the landscape of um, surgical robotics across the world and, and sort of the different needs and different areas of which robots are currently being utilized. So I've got a, a two point question, uh, if I may, moving on to, to quantum. First of all, why um, did you think, right, let's start, let's start again, almost. Uh, and two, how and, and, and why did you choose the certain um, use case um, for, the, for the surgical robot? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's the right question everybody should uh, ask himself <laughs> and for other, the, the why question. Yeah, 100%. Why, why are you doing that? So uh, basically, uh, we, we left uh, Zimmer Biomed after having uh, transitioned to a, a new uh, management team that was uh, more uh, uh, fit uh, to, uh, to address uh, big corporate uh, uh, challenges. 
and yeah. uh, and we took uh, something like uh, six, seven, eight, nine months to uh, research uh, the surgical robotics field, surgery fields, to try to uh, to find this equation where robotics could uh, address an unmet need uh, to uh, leverage minimally invasive technique and uh, with a clinically proven uh, solution. So that's uh, really the, the equation we found in the in Rosa Brain for epilepsy. And, and that was also the, the, the success of the Da Vinci in a laparoscopy, basically uh, providing an enabling technology for physician to uh, uh, perform minimally invasive treatments and uh, in an efficient way. So uh, we uh, did a, a lot of research, and then uh, we we came out to this uh, to this field of uh, liver cancer, and we found that uh, there were not not many things happening in uh, robotics and navigation in this field, and and still people we were discussing with uh, had uh, a strong unmet needs. On you know, it's a it's a difficult technique when you when you try to insert a, a needle, an ablation needle, into the abdomen. Uh, percutaneously, that means you don't see anything, and you just have to rely on images that uh, you see on the screen. And and uh, for CT guided procedure that they have been performed, uh, uh, maybe uh, the day before or, or just at the beginning of the intervention, mm. and and anything moves, and and it's really difficult. I mean, it it requires skills, it requires a learning curve, and uh, and uh, and you have to place the ablation needle at the right place to really cover the the whole tumor and avoid a uh, local uh, cancer recurrence. So that's how we found uh, uh, what we call a, a sweet spot for robotics, that is uh, liver cancer and specifically uh, percutaneous treatment of, uh, of uh, liver cancer. And we started uh, operating, really operating the, the company is in July, July 2017. So four years ago, uh, hiring the first uh, software guy to, uh, to, to, to start developing a product. Awesome. Okay. So just so I can put it to like, I don't know, layman's terms, <laughs> it's a, a very, the, 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 the procedure is very, very tricky. So the, the surgeon would have to almost go blind, but use some sort of, I don't know, optical camera or high resolution camera that's in the needle, perhaps go into the liver. Um, but also specify the can where the, the, the tumor is because you've got to be very accurate in case to make sure that when you've done a surgery there isn't a recurrence of of a, of, of tumors um but also the images that perhaps are on the screen and they're using using to pre-plan the surgery are not done live obviously they're done the day before or, or previously and as we know from um sidearm medical in in their episode with rob haig in series one um, they have like a surgical imaging uh, solution um, and their sort of a met need was the fact that people's you know internal organs tend to move <laughs> they're not they're not very stationary <laughs> and that can be a very big challenge for the for for the surgeon um so i guess you you found that the, the sweet spot in the robotics piece because it's a very tricky surgery to, to do as a human being um and this is where you know I, the sensors and the robotics and the, the navigation can be can be done. So, for your product though, is it fully autonomous or is it guided by the the surgeon externally? How does it exactly um, work and fit in? 
Yeah, right. So no, it, it's not autonomous. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a robot, but it's uh, mainly uh, 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 an assistant uh, to the physician. And actually, the procedure is done under uh, imaging, so it's either CT or ultrasound. Uh, but uh, uh, it's still uh, 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 difficult under image guidance to really uh, know where you are, where is the needle, where is the tumor. Sometimes you don't see the tumor. Sometimes you don't really see well the whole the whole needle. So it, it's it's still a, a a difficult procedure, especially when you do do have to treat large tumors or tumors uh, mm. close to vessels or or, or the bile duct. Then uh, you have to be very careful. Uh, if you implant multi needles, then it's difficult. So uh, our product is uh, basically uh, used during the three phases. So the first one is uh, planning the intervention. So uh, what we bring is a, a piece of software that enables to load images, either diagnostic or uh, uh, pre-interventional images to do a multimodal, what we call multimodal planning is using the benefits mm. from MR, CT, and uh, to really uh, see where is the tumor, what's gonna be the needle path, and, uh, and, uh, and secure the ablation parameters to say, okay, um, how I am going to set the ablation generator to make sure that the whole tumor is uh, is destroyed. So once you've done the plan, then you you move on to uh, uh, the guidance phase, where the robot will uh, automatically position the needle guide uh, according to the patient's position, and that's where uh, we do have a, a tracking technology and also a, a proprietary respiratory monitoring module. Because as you said, internally things are moving and the liver <laughs> movement is not really uh, what, what, what you think it is. Uh, and when you, when you breathe, then the liver moves in, in, in both directions. And so you have to uh, take into account uh, the patient breathing uh, when, when you install the needle. So we have this uh, uh, guidance phase and, and basically our paradigm at, uh, at MedTech and at Quantum Surgical is we want to leave uh, the physician in control of the final gesture. Uh, we do believe that, I mean, it could be automated, but uh, that's going to be the next step first. At mm. least in, in this uh, IO field, interventional oncology, there is not much robotics. So the first step is just, you know, introducing a planning software, introducing a robot. And, uh, and uh, once the product is adopted, when the technology is, uh, is adopted by the, by the community, then we can think at, uh, about the next step that could be automation and maybe not. Maybe the, you know, the feedbacks from the market, feedbacks yeah. from the customer will be, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm fine doing it myself and, and I, I'd rather do it myself because like I feel when I puncture the liver capsule, I know where I am. Uh, you yeah. know, when, when, they, when they insert the needle into the tumor, they can feel stuff. And so yeah. if you automate it, this, then you remove all the feedback. The touch, uh, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, awesome. So, um, with the, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the garlic navigation piece. Um, so, how does that work? Do you have sensors at the end of it, and sort of what what challenges did you find with with that specific part of the robotic arm? Yeah, well, well on, on the robotic uh, side, I mean, uh, we've we've been doing this for for quite a few times so there is not much uh, challenges i mean the the challenges here is uh, it's a soft tissue and it's moving and it's breathing so what we did is we combine a, a, a robotic device uh, with a, a navigation technology and also uh, this uh, software that analyzes the, the the patient motion so what 
the physician does is he places what we call a reference on the patient's abdomen and uh, the tracking technology will analyze all the movement of this uh, small part oh, and wow. then determine what's the respiratory cycle of the patient it will uh, display the respiratory curve pretty much like a respiratory monitoring but not not uh, in the same uh, intent and then we can uh, synchronize you know the, the the phases of the respiratory cycle between image acquisition that's where you plan your intervention mm. and needle insertion that's where you insert the needle so it's uh and it's been uh it's been uh yeah i mean it's been a challenge because it's not uh, it's not that easy and and we've we've, we've tried different technologies and uh, we've tried different uh, algorithm and we tested it uh, uh on uh, preclinical testing to make sure that uh, you know every uh this feature is uh, really reproducible uh, to uh, below the millimeter so mm. what, what we demonstrated on uh, on pigs is that uh, we are able to synchronize the the patient motion to make sure that uh, you know the liver and the tumor within the liver is uh, uh, at the same place, very same place, at less than one millimeter uh, uh, with this technique. Oh, awesome! So you have uh, a system that sits on the the abdomen, and then your software will learn the the cycle, as you said, the breathing cycle and the movement of the internal organs, effectively there for. The when the, the needle's going in, it's a, it's to the same picture or environment that the you've had the CT acquisition for the pre pre planning stage. So exactly. that image becomes much more um, usable, let's say. <laughs> um, and I, that, that's fascinating. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, go on. Yeah, yeah. Because when you, when you are in like in cranial neurosurgery, you have your your head is within a skull clamp. So it doesn't right. move. So you, you took the CT scan and then you operate with the same image. And yeah. uh, if the brain doesn't move, then you can keep the same image. Uh, but in the liver, uh, you have to, to figure this out. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's awesome. And um, is that something that's, that's um, just from um, on this robot? Or is this something that you, you've done previously as, as well? How did you sort of, or if it's been done in the market, or is this a new thing that you guys um, thought about connecting it all together? So this piece of uh, respiratory monitoring analysis, yeah. So basically, you know, um, I've been uh, in this field for 20 years <laughs> and people always think they are innovating in their own space, but right next door uh, in another therapeutic space, they've done it for a couple of years prior to us. So what we did is, is uh, you know, it's the same issue the radiotherapy is facing right now. I mean, they are treating uh, with a, a, a beam uh, a tumor within a, a moving organ, and and what they've that what they've done is that they have similar devices, but they, they implement it in a different way uh, because it's not the same environment and it, there is no operator and stuff like that. But what we did is we just looked at okay, where is the same uh, therapeutic space that has the same issues, and how did they fix it, and how we can adapt it to our own uh, needs. I mean, if 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 uh, if uh, an issue has been solved for uh, you know ten or fifteen years. There's you know probably going to work. Yeah, <laughs> so that that's great. That's awesome. And, and where are where are quantum now? You said at the the preamble there um, that you're looking um, at the, the Chinese market and the European and the American market. So um, paint the landscape of, of what you guys have achieved in the last four four years, as you said, when you started. Yeah, it's been uh, quite a. Uh, 
uh, tremendously learning <laughs> journey this for uh, past four years. So basically, we did the full product development cycle from the early on blank sheet of paper uh, until uh, prototyping, uh, preclinical testing. Uh, we did a multicentric clinical study. We did also uh, uh, regulatory filing. So usability studies, we did, we've done all, uh, and we closed that uh, last year, and uh, we filed for uh, for CE marking, and uh, I mean, we were recording, it's uh, July, and I, I, I do hope that uh, by the day this uh, episode will be broadcasted. <laughs> we will have already uh, disclosed uh, a lot of good news yeah. uh, on the regulatory side, so we intend basically to address Europe, US, and Chinese market at the same time in 2022. Wow. And that's a big challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should we, should we, yeah. I was going to say, the, the one thing we discussed earlier about the you know, supply chain and everything like that from a, from a startup, then I guess you, you're in now that position where you've innovated. And now you're going to be going into three different markets, the three biggest markets in the world. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so, so obviously. I mean, we we we've thought about that, and uh, yeah. in Europe, we 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 know how to do this. In the US, yeah. Uh, yeah. we will settle a, a, a US branch very soon to to set up a team that that will do that. And uh, in China, uh, we've done a, a joint venture with a, a local partner that is called hey, uh, LifeTech Scientific, and uh, we're uh, working with them right now. Uh, to get into the NMPA clearance and uh, preparing the product for the market. So, um, yeah, I mean, but it's uh, on the regulatory side and on the product side, it's still uh, quite a, quite a, quite a big challenge. But you have to yeah. you have to think big. Uh, you know, yeah. when, uh, uh, you know, we've said at the beginning, it's uh, the surgical robotics market is 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 blooming. I mean, it's uh, mm. it's. Uh, there are a lot of things happening and <laughs> you have to be, you know, there is no time to waste. If you, uh, Absolutely. Believe, if you believe there is a value for your product and you, if you convince clinical partners, uh, financial partners, then you have to go for it. And, uh, and, and to go for it, you have to address the three markets, Europe, uh, US and China. And uh, yeah. if, if possible at the same time, that's, that's what we're targeting. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what well, uh, hopefully um, it's, it's, it's very successful. Um, with the background that you have in, in Europe and history you have in America, I can't see why not. And if you've partnered with that local company in, in China um, to help you ascertain the, the, the expertise in that market, I'm sure it'll be a, a great success. Um, but just, just finally, I wanted to touch on because it is, as you say, it's a, it's a booming market at the moment, surgical robotics. You know, I'm sure everyone's heard about the, the funding of a CMR um, for their Series D. Um, very impressive. Um, so where do you see the, the, the trends looking at now? And, and also just to, just to put into that, where do you see other industries using robotics or autonomy um, that our industry could really harness as well and look to them as like, that's something that we could look to achieve or some of the technologies they're using, we could, we could move into our space as well. All right, so that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, uh, well, I, I would say um, I've I've been asked the question, you know, where does surgical robotics goes? Uh, quite a couple of times, and actually, there is no one surgical robotics market. Uh, there are mm. uh, obviously there is a big market, which is the 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 one like for Da Vinci, the CMR, the uh, Medtronic Hugo, the JNJ, whatever, and and all the other people, and and that's really good. 
uh, for customers and, and patients that there is competition coming and they will have a choice and there will be uh, different approaches, including a, a hybrid one from uh, Dexter. And um, that will be good for, but this is one market. And, and then there's a lot of other markets in, in, in bone, in, uh, in yeah. orthopedics and stuff like that. But the, you know, the trend, I, I would say there are a lot of technologies that are out there and that start to, uh, you know, entering the, uh, the, the surgical robotic space that, Everything that's around digital, uh, you see, uh, you can see uh, Intuitive and JNJ uh, going into pre-surgical planning. When you start mm. doing pre-surgical planning, then you have a, a, a massive amount of data and you have a lot of capabilities to process this data to improve what you are going to execute during the surgery. So everything around pre-surgical pre, uh, pre planning, all the smart sensors in orthopedics, they will provide data for... Uh, uh, gap balancing stuff like that uh, that will uh, feed the robot to enable to do better and uh, provide better patient outcomes and also we've seen that in uh, in orthopedics uh, there is the post-op phase and uh, everybody's thinking you know the surgery day but uh, well, yeah I mean the patient they they have to live with the <laughs> with the result of the surgery for weeks or months or, or maybe more and and, mm. and there are also stuff to do uh, Smith and nephew, they, they went into this field, uh, Zimmer Biomet also, and, and there is also a lot of data. So pre-op, intra-op, post-op, there is a lot of data. And it's a, a digital ecosystem that the manufacturers will have to build to be able to, to get this data first uh, through other devices or their own devices and then to process the data. And that's where, you know, AI uh, obviously can uh, can play a role because uh, there is there will be massive amounts of data so only mm. i can can process this to you know do, do some uh, intelligent analytics and provide the manufacturer the hospital the surgeon with valuable insights on uh, you know what 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 you've done and what's the result of what you've done and, and what you should do differently for the next time yeah. and so everything around digital i'm a, i'm a big fan of all the systems like uh, yeah. uh, teleprocedural uh, telemedicine, telehealth, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Uh, it's been, yeah. uh, you know, uh, really, really uh, strong during the, the COVID pandemic situation. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, I, I hope that the surgeon will uh, get accustomed to this kind of uh, uh, mm. uh, technologies because it really helps to leverage the knowledge, the clinical knowledge uh, towards the manufacturer for post-market for product development towards yeah. the, 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 the peers in the, in the community, towards people who want to train. So uh, I do believe there will be some synergies at some point between a, sure. a complex medical device that is a robot and, and yeah. uh, a telehealth tele uh, system. And then you have everything that's around augmented reality, virtual yes. reality. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy as well. That, that's, yeah. uh, that's something that you know it it it's coming and there is no doubt yeah. it's it's uh it's gonna play a, a strong role in uh in in our field what's gonna be the role where but there will be benefit for sure and, and there yeah. is a lot, lot of stuff to do around there yeah ab absolutely i think what what's interesting now that i picked up with what you're saying it seems like the more companies like yourselves innovate and, and basically create more sensors into the surgical or, or just the healthcare settings, right? It doesn't have to be robotics. It can be um, imaging diagnostic systems or, or, or such. It creates more data and there's gonna be, there's gonna be a need to sort of analyze that data and 
you, you know, connect the, the, the dots almost to the, for the healthcare professionals to increase the patient quality of care, to increase um, the effectiveness of decision-making and such as well. So it's almost like a, like a, uh, a snowball going down a mountain. The more that you innovate, the more that needs to innovate around it and the data. And so it's just going to be a massive sort of snowball, I feel, um, which is super exciting. And people like yourself, Lucy, in the, in the industry, how active you are and how much of an advocate you are for this kind of kind of work and this kind of stuff is, is fantastic and only benefits everyone. And, and at the end of the day, the patients, um, which is super cool. But um, this has been very exciting. I could probably speak to you all day, <laughs> but I know that you're a very busy person. Um, so we'll leave it there for, for now, but thank you very much for um, coming on and being the first guest of um, series two. Um, I don't know if there are people wanting to follow up with you, what's the best way uh, to get in touch with you? I know you're, you're, you're quite active anyway, as an influencer, as I said in yeah. the start. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I try to educate the community the best I can. So uh, any feedback are welcome anyway. Uh, so you can connect me through LinkedIn, Lucien Blondel, and you can also connect to Quantum Surgical uh, LinkedIn uh, profile. Uh, those two things are okay, so. Awesome. And hopefully by the time this, this comes out, it's in line um, with uh, some of the, uh, we'll just talk about offline, just some of the things that potentially could be coming out of the, the woodwork in the news. So hopefully it'll be a successful time for you and a successful end of the year. And everyone needs to be looking out for your three pronged attack for quantum surgical across the world. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick. Really it was great. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of LifeSight AI, the podcast series. If you would like to listen to any of the other series or episodes in this series too, then please go back and listen to them on either Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast hosting service. Alternatively, you can find out more and listen and watch to every episode on cyproglobal.com. Thank you and see you next time.